We're recording. Do you want to slate? Yeah, let's slate. Gangster goddess, full leather jacket, two away. <sighs> no, you got it. You got it. That was actually the best we've ever slated. I just wanted you to know that. No, it's not. Every formula coming at you live from Venus. Uncle Dre and Auntie Chris bring you Gangster Goddess Broadcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Gangster Goddess Broadcast with my gum, my mouth, with Uncle Dre and Auntie Chris. We were supposed to start at four, and what time is it? It's uh, we're close. It's seven. <laughs> seven. That's how we do it. That's how we do it Whatever. in the GGB. Who's that? Guess what? That's why people have Wait, um, podcasts. Did somebody just say what? something. No. What? Are you okay? What's happening? I thought I just heard something on your side. I didn't hear anything. Really? What did it say? Did it say anything good? It was like... (laughs) No, it was like, Chris is awesome. (laughs) Okay. That's what it was. Chris is the best. I'm going to hold my mic today. I'm having mic troubles, and I'm also having a massive headache that I've had for days. Why? What's going on there? Is that your busted? I don't know. No, I'm going to tell you what my busted is. I'm going to tell what you about my first night in a restaurant. Oh, my God. I'm not going to tell what you the restaurant. restaurant oh, so don't God. say the name of the restaurant because you know what it is. And I don't want to hurt anyone's business right now. But I have to rant about my first night in a restaurant and this whole entire thing. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm, I haven't I'm spoken to you about this yet. I'm so glad that you save it for our podcast. So I can well, really it was, just. It was mine and Robbie's anniversary the other day. It was our one-year uh-huh. anniversary. We had our first date at Ginya, so we were going to go there, but it's so crowded and crazy, so we decided to stay closer, and we went to a pretty famous restaurant in Los Angeles, and it was all outdoor dining. Now, I want to—I have a couple of questions. What's up with the half visor? This is my first night out, okay? What's up with the half visor? That's what do not, you mean? The visors go— No, 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 no that's not, It's a half visor. What are you, working in a so, steel factory? Well, okay, wait, wait. Hold on. It goes from the nose down. Is that what you're saying? The, the, the visor's up to here. So there's a nose, there's a mouth. They're wearing a mask, but still, if you're going to wear the face visor, let's get real. Let's put it down to here. Now, when you're handing me my glass, can you not hand it to me like this? For the people that are listening, she's holding the glass by where you would drink out of, which, Look yeah, my that's not is. a good thing. By the way, that's this is what I wanted to call the guy who put the glass on my table. Okay. Because her glass is douchebag. I'm just going to, you know what? I'm your narrator. Her glass yeah. is douchebag. Do that. <laughs> so now, okay, he hands me the dish with his thumb in the middle of the dish. Oh. Then he goes to bring forks over and his hands are soaking wet. It's another guy. Soaking wet hands, holding forks. Do you need a fork? I was like, that's cool. I'll eat with my hands. Thanks. That's that. Okay. Now I'm watching so many water bugs walking around that I felt like I was at home. It almost felt like nostalgia, like I was back in New York. Okay. The water bugs are walking around carrying switchblades over here. So now I pick my purse up off the floor because I'm like, I don't need a water bug to crawl into my purse. Amanda once told me a story about a water (gasps) bug that got in her bag, and then she was home Wait a second. 
I know which restaurant you're talking about, and the same no. thing happened with the water bugs. Don't the don't same mention thing. the restaurant. I won't. No way. No way. I will. I won't mention the restaurant. But oh my god, someone was freaking out outside, and I was like, "What's wrong?" She was sitting next to me, like, and she's like, "There's a big bug." Yeah. Chris, you don't even know. Oh no. Our bug stories. Okay, so now I'm holding my purse in my lap. My entree comes. It's my first meal in a restaurant ever. Well, she's not. You're not in the restaurant. You're outside. Outside, I feel something smack me in the top of my head and now I feel like things moving around at the very front of my part of my head (sighs) I look at Robbie and I go (gasps) and I go like this I look down at my purse and I see these antennas looking up at me a water bug two inches big sitting it was in my hair on my purse now he's up looking at me with his freaking antennas and then I throw my bag across the restaurant and start screaming bloody murder. Robbie <laughs> said that when I ran out of the restaurant, because it was like the outdoor indoor patio, when yeah, I ran out, yeah. the water bug got off my purse, <laughs> crawled up his beer bottle, looked at him like this, <laughs> and then flew dead. away with a wingspan of a friggin' eagle, because they're huge water bugs. And that was that. And then we spent the rest of the night watching like different water bugs walking around different parts. And not only that, it's my first night out. And there is a D bag that sits next to us that starts vlogging and won't no. stop talking. He's covered in diamonds. I'm like, who is this guy? <sighs> and then he does the, the thing. Excuse me, miss, miss. And I'm like, <clears throat> were you on The Sopranos? Yes, and now I have to be nice, and I'm always nice when people say that to You're me. But it's like nice. it's my first night out. The guy is a d bag because he's annoying every waiter in the restaurant because he won't stop talking. I mean, he literally will not stop talking, and he won't let anybody do his job, their job, even though their job is to hand you dishes with their thumbs in the middle of the dish and their fingers all over the tops <laughs> of the glasses, and um, to serve you giant cucarachas with switchblades. So then this guy won't stop talking. And he says, remember me when I handed you my business card on a beach? Then he comes over to our table to hand me another card. I'm like, don't touch me, bro. Like, no. And then he goes into a whole thing about how much he, like, it's unsolicited. It doesn't come from anything. How much he loves Trump and how he doesn't care that he's going to get the shit um, beat out of him if he talks about it in the restaurant out loud. So he's trying to cause a scene talking about how much he loves Trump. And I'm just like, first of all, I don't care who you love. Like, I could care less. Which, But what I do care about is your entire mania. Like, you're completely, like, losing your mind. Like, you're crazy. Oh my God. And trying to be provocative. And Robbie and I are trying to have a romantic dinner and holding hands and the bugs are on us and the guy is talking and I'm just like F this I am never going out for dinner again oh my god <laughs> that's I'm my first sorry. night out that's horrible oh my god you guys are trying to have a romantic dinner and this guy I can't believe that bug tr- was in my hair wait there's a thing there with the water bugs that's because I'm telling I don't <gasps> Is this like water bug season or something in LA? What is happening? There was oh. one in my garage and I was shocked because I've never seen one here in my life. That's a New York Wait, thing. Do, do you realize that every busted and readjusted now uh, is about bugs. like scorpions, snakes, water bugs, yeah. oh, ants? 
Oh, then when I got home, I went in my cabinet and we have a little bit of a moth pantry thing going on these days. A moth flies under my glasses in here and then starts flittering and butterfly kissing my eyeball with his wings. Okay, I'm done. I want to talk about it. I, I'm done with this podcast today. I need to go now. I can't stay I'm for done. the rest of the rewatch. I, I need it. to go. I need to go spray, uh, raid everywhere. <laughs> I feel like itchy and crawly now. Great. Um, all right. So there's that. Maybe we should get into the recap. What do you think? So we go. stopped talking about bugs. And, I just talked and... so much. Do you want to read it? Oh, my God. Okay. But let me just announce what we're doing. We're on The Sopranos Season 2, Episode 8. It's called Full Leather Jacket. It originally aired March 5th, 2000. And it's written by the magnificent Robin Green and Mitchell Burgess and directed by our buddy Alan Coulter. On today's episode of The Sopranos Full Leather Jacket, in effort to make peace, Richie April bestows Tony with a gift. <laughs> Christopher makes a major life decision, and Sean and Matt go to the extreme to make a name for themselves. You mean the That's name it. the name Tweedledee and Tweedledum? The name Chip and Dale? Clowns. The name Dumb and Dumber? Dumb and Dumber. I like oh, that Oh, I can't believe we're talking about Lilo this way, but he pl- he's Matt, Fine. right? He's Matt Bevilacqua. Yeah, he's Matt. The other guy, Sean. You know what? I like Matt. A Matt's, more, Matt's a little more intelligent than uh, Sean. That's how I feel. They're both yeah. idiots. When you combine them, it's like rockets of, of nothing. Yeah. Um, the title, Full Metal Jacket, you said you took a nosedive into that. Yeah, I mean, the obvious thing is that it's, you know, it's just a play on full leather jacket. Um, yeah. I mean, full metal jacket from, you know, the movie, the Kubrick movie, first a book by uh, Gustav Hasford. But I just wanted to understand a little more why, it, you know, I, I think I might have gone too far. I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend that that it makes any <laughs> sense. But but it kind of does make sense. I mean, look, the, the obvious thing is a full metal jacket, the casing around the lead in, in a bullet. Mm-hmm. But that is not what's important to me. About, I mean, it is important to me in terms of if we, if you want to go really deep with and crazy and probably meaningless also is that it's protection. The casing is always protection. And I think this episode, mm-hmm. I'm jumping from the title to the theme of what I think the, the show means to, in a lot of in a lot of ways. And it could be totally wrong, but I feel like there was a lot of talk about Full Metal Jacket, the actual movie and the book with the duality of man and talking about that and, and Vietnam, you, you have to lose your individuality when you're in a situation like going to war with, in Vietnam. There's, there's also like this piece of like kind of military brainwashing. Like, do you remember Full Metal Jacket? Um, vaguely. Oh my God. I, I haven't seen I it. I haven't it. seen it in years, but. Did you watch I, it? No, I didn't watch it. No. But I remember vividly the scenes of the boys in the barracks with their underwear on. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And the boys in this show are in their underwear yeah. at one point, dumb and dumber. But it goes on. Like, I won't get into it too much right now. Or maybe I can. I don't really know. Well, I have questions about that scene, too. So, yeah, it's. Okay. Well, as far as the title goes, I feel like it's not even so much the title. 
what I'm looking at more are the similarities between David Chase and Stanley Kubrick in a way. I feel like David Chase, he plays the severity and the absurdity of of the mob life, whereas Kubrick is playing the severity and the absurdity of Vietnam and killing each other and men in this, you know, it's like this whole play on masculinity. And I think it's it's really, really, really intense. And I think that, you know, the, all of Richie April's references to the jacket and, and Rocco DeMeo, I think mm-hmm. that he's the toughest guy in the neighborhood. Well, in Full Metal Jacket, you have Lee Ermey is the actor who plays Hartman. And first of all, I have so much trivia on full, on the Kubrick film that I kind of feel like I need to just break off and talk about Full Metal Jacket for one minute. First of all, it was shot in England, not in Vietnam, which is crazy oh, wow. because Kubrick didn't like to go away. So they had to uh-huh. recreate it there. Now, the original actor who was going to play Matthew Modine's part of the uh-huh. Joker uh-huh. was Anthony Michael Hall. And somehow that didn't work out. That would have been a much different film if he was playing that part. And he's a great actor, but um, totally different style. And Lee Ermey, who plays the drill sergeant, um, Hartman, he was only hired to be um, like a technical consultant because he was in Vietnam. Well, he ended up making a tape, a 15-minute tape for Kubrick of him doing all all those insults he does when he's yelling at the boys he's uh-huh. he improvised all of that and it couldn't be more funny every line he spits out everybody should go back and watch and I'm write a line on gangster goddess of each and every line i didn't write them down i wish i had written them down but they're so classic and so funny and it reminded me of the sopranos in that it's taking that like as opposed to something like apocalypse now and The Godfather, um, these mm-hmm. really serious sort of um, intense. And then you have Kubrick with Full Metal Jacket during the time where all of these Vietnam movies were coming out that were so important and covered such heavy, you know, heavy subject matter, death. And then you have Kubrick takes it and just turns it on its fucking backside the way David does with the mob genre. So, you know, there's a war genre, there's a mob genre, and then David Chase and Stanley Kubrick kind of did the same thing. So I feel like in calling it full leather jacket, it's kind of an homage to Kubrick and that film Uh because there is a, a parallel between the two. No one's ever allowed to improvise on The Sopranos, but Lee Ermey improvised everything pretty much. He was allowed to write his own dialogue. And for his audition, sort of, he insults the camera with all of these crazy isms, all the things he says in the movie, for 15 minutes straight at the top of his lungs while people are throwing oranges and um, tennis balls at him the whole time. And because of that, Kubrick was like, he's my guy. And Kubrick had to tell the guy he cast, sorry, but I, you can't be in this movie. So I thought that was uh, well, pretty interesting. Uh, oh, and then Modine actually brought mm-hmm. Dino- Vince D'Onofrio into the movie. Without Modine, D'Onofrio would have never been playing Pyle. He was a bouncer at the Hard Rock Cafe. And Modine was what? like, you have to come. It's his first movie. You have to be in this movie. 
Um, anyway, he was so great. Oh my god! Oh wait, so good. This, is this the movie that Madonna? This is where I. No, <laughs> Madonna did the video, and it's like oh. I'm crazy for you. I don't think it, it was the same movie. <gasps> but if we're talking about music, "Paint It Black" was like the main song the main? from Full Metal Jacket. But a little another piece of trivia is Kubrick didn't even know who the Stones were. Isn't that weird? What? He was so no. immersed in Beethoven and Strauss when he was doing A Clockwork Orange that he didn't eat. He was just unaware of the Rolling Stones, supposedly. But Kubrick was a weird cat. One of our producers from this show just sent me an article and was like, good, go for the Kubrick stuff because they're writing all this crazy stuff about him this week. And, you know, I don't read the news, so I don't know. So he sent me this what? article and people are talking about him right now and his toxic masculinity in his films and they're actually saying that he would have been a better contender to be an epic filmmaker had he not been so toxic around women his portrayal of women how he wouldn't focus Mm. on women and how he identified with these kinds of toxic male characters and i disagree with a lot of this i mean i know that kubrick is kubrick but to me he's still a genius and i do find his films to be completely epic and i disagree that he was not a contender i mean he was one of the top contenders you know um but he Mm -hmm. would take months and months to film just like david chase and he didn't like to be challenged on set just like david Mm -hmm. chase um and i found him to be somewhat of a genius too chase as well and just always doing what's kind of not expected in a, in a moment, which I appreciate, and taking his time. Yeah. Oh, but back to the Clockwork Orange thing, him not knowing the Stones. The Stones were actually obsessed with a Clockwork Orange, and they tried to buy the script several times. Oh, wow. They tried to buy the rights, I guess, to it. Um, but anyway, Full Metal Jacket is like the transmutation of boys and turning them into killers. So you yeah. have Lee Emery or Ermy, who's training Pyle, who's this naive, dumb, you know, dim-witted boy to become a murderer mm-hmm. in Vietnam. So there is this essence of mind control going on. And abuse, total abuse and flexing of masculinity and who's the boss and all this sort of stuff. Now, Christopher is Tweedledee and Tweedledum's drill sergeant. He's teaching them. So they both get killed by their teachers. Yeah. So that's where I think there's a huge kind of marriage of Kubrick and Chase, The Sopranos, Full Metal Jacket... As we go through scene by scene, we'll see where there feels like there's some sort of brainwashing, mind control, stuff like that. You know, and Matt and Sean are inexperienced the way all of these boys in Vietnam are inexperienced. And now you're sending them off to war. Um, So it's anyway. 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 (laughs) Well, that's that's a good... And that wraps up our show for Gangster Goddess Broadcast. We're done. Goodbye. <laughs> we could fast forward. Oh All right, I'm going to move on to, I'm going to move on. So basically, um, the GGB tidbits and some fun facts is um, this was one of the shortest episodes in the series, just under 43 minutes. 
And it was one of two episodes that had no music played over the end credits. I love the the way the end ends with uh, no music. With with the ventilator and the echocardiogram or whatever the hell that thing was. So artsy-fartsy. I like it. It was so artsy. Earlier in the season, Livia warns AJ about the dangers of seatbelts. And then um, Sean can't get off his seatbelt and he gets shot by Christopher. Mm-hmm. So... That's another little little tidbit. What show was that in? I don't remember what episode, Livia. It was a couple Do episodes back. It could have been, it actually could have been this, it could have been D-Girl. It could have been the last episode, but I'm not 100%. Me neither. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, our little rehash. We're, we open up with the Soprano home. What song is that? Do you know? That familiar soprano? song when they first, yeah. At the- <gasps> oh, Baker Street. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. And by the way, I love the Jerry Rafferty version of it. But you know who does a mm-hmm. fantastic... Well, the the Foo Fighters actually do a great version of it. That's really not bad. But oh, my favorite right. version yes. is um, mm-hmm. Waylon Jennings' version. Oh, my God. My children's granddaddy. Grandpa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His version of Baker Street is phenomenal. So if you guys, um, you, you know, when you listen to our episodes, we're always trying to drop some bombs for you to go buy some I'm things and listen. It's really good. It's worth it. Right now I have my list. It says Rxmas and Waylon. Watch Jennings. Full Metal Jacket again. So good. It's jacket. so good. And just study Lee Ermey's performance. He is fantastic. Um, Another theme, I think, by the way, before we even go through the rehash, I think Uh we could call this episode Big Boys Don't Cry. Oh, you're renaming it now. When it chases (laughs) up. Well, no, because there was a Big Girls Don't Cry. (laughs) Very brazen. Uh But um, (laughs) I also think that another huge theme in this episode is fear. Fear drives everybody a lot, but it drives everybody Uh to act like bullies and to flex their muscles a lot because everybody's feeling so insecure. And I think that reputations play a big thing in this episode. Well, you mentioned Full Metal Jacket and going and all these boys turning into men. And it's almost like relating that back to this. This is all about duties that these people feel they have to perform and the same thing with these did you just say duty i said duties like poop 12 year old friend (laughs) my 12 year old friend but yeah i mean is everybody's trying to have some duty that they have to perform and it's the same way with full metal jacket when these kids go to war they have to perform a duty for america chris fully commits the mob we have um chris also proposes to adriana which is kind of funny, his duty to start a family. Oh my God, we have to talk, we'll get into that. But Carmela's duty to protect her daughter and get her off to college. And Sean, Matt and Sean think it's their duty to kill Christopher, even Chris, though they're idiots. Chris, can you stop saying that? Duty. I'm going to say, is it their duty or not their duty? We are 12, people are probably getting so annoyed, but that's who we are. Sorry yes. guys, it's my fault. Duty, duty, duty. <laughs> Oh my god. It's so hot in here. I'm delirious. People are like, you know what? I don't want to hear a bunch of girls complain. <laughs> it's 18. No. 
This anyway. is an awesome okay, episode, back- and I've already we've already gotten off to a great start, listeners. Come Where? on. I mean. Oh, you know what I wanted to say? The other episode, this was a great fun fact. This was one of two episodes that had no music over the end credits. The other episode is um, Made in America. Oh, yeah. The season finale. Cut to black. Yeah. I mean, that left me. We can just talk about that right now. And forget this. Oh, hell no. We're no, not going to talk about that until the last day. Could you imagine if we did that rewatch now? <laughs> it's no. Like, we'll do that on the last day of the GGB. Okay. okay. So the Soprano family, they're eating Chinese food. The house talking about the college admissions. Mm, Chinese food. Why do, this, why do the Italians love Chinese I, my, I know my dad loves – we love Chinese. I love There's actually Chinese a couple too. good places. But um, East Coast has the best Chinese. I think yeah. we get an immediate comment on the masculinity thing right off the bat. Yeah. The very first scene when Tony Soprano says what? What does he say? Uh, Nobel Prize for what? Pack and fudge? Yeah, there you go. He's automatically making fun Why? of somebody who is intelligent. Intelligent? Um, which would mean if they are intellectual, they must be weak or gay or vulnerable. Um, if they're smart, they must be scared or weak. So that's a whole other thing on masculinity there. Uh, it's about appearances, mm-hmm. always about appearances, which college Meadow's going to go to. Yes. And she's wants to get into Georgetown. That's her deal. Carmela wants her to go to Georgetown. Doesn't she want to go to Berkeley? Yes, you're right. I had it backwards. Yes. Does she want to go to Berkeley to get away from her parents or should she want to go to Berkeley because of how liberal it is? I don't know. And because of how, I you know, know, progressive the thinking is there because Meadow is pretty progressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially for the family she was raised in. Anyway. So with the store office at night, Chris, Sean and Matt do some small time work. They're cracking saves. Matt or Sean, one of them's on the toilet or <sighs> going to the bathroom on There's the no floor. There's no toilet. Duh. Disgusting. And I feel like he needs Hello Tushy. Just saying. (laughs) Hello Tushy. Remember our our great sponsor, Hello Tushy. Anyway, disgusting. I think that the reason I was asking myself, what's the reason behind this? But, you know, I I do want to get Mitch and Robin on the show. And I think that we have Mm -hmm. to squeeze them in for this last season. Um, yeah. Because I can't wait. I mean, I could wait for them till the end because they've been with, with us and I would love to have them come to a full scope. But I kind of need to talk to them right away. I mean, I could just talk to them without bringing them on. But I think we should bring them on. And um, yeah. I'm curious. I would love to have them on. You know, there are certain things that the choices they make. Like, why a stocking store? I do think that him crapping in the middle of every one of these things is, again, showing someone weak. Remember what we talked about in the last episode? <laughs> taking the morning dump I, oh my god when you when you see someone in that vulnerable position they're weakened you talked to- <laughs> i did i did um but it's a weakened position and they talk about how yeah. pussy shit like a bear when he was a cat burglar now his name is pussy uh-huh. so let's even look at the fact that his name is pussy he's not gonna make it through this season he is weak he is weakened well they're showing they're showing vulnerability yeah, he's taking a crap while he's talking about getting recognized um, while he's taking a crap. And he and he's, you know, the importance of stepping up. Christopher's telling him the importance of stepping up. Look what happens when Christopher steps up in this episode. He should have never stepped up. He should have stepped down. But remember what we talked about in the last episode, how sad it was 
that he would walk back into that house. Like you're <gasps> almost, you're rooting for him. What? Go. I just had a moment. Why? I was like, you were talking about, you're comparing Big Pussy and the one taking the crap. Is that Matt or Sean? I always fuck that up. It's Sean. And Sean, right? Yeah. And they, they said that, the, and then you're talking about vulnerability and in the scene in the bathroom with Tony and Sean, he thinks Sean's wearing a wire. Or he doesn't think he is. He assumes, like, don't talk like that. This place well, could be wired. The, the bin could be wired. The bin could be, yeah, not Sean. But I'm just saying, and Pussy is wearing a wire. They're both, yeah. I'm just making that little relation because they're comparing him to Pussy in general. Totally. And then he's the one that he thinks could be, you know, like, he's like, don't talk about that. You can get me in trouble. Guess who's getting him in trouble? There's also all of these moments, and Pussy says it in the last episode, where um, mm-hmm. where he's not being respected and not getting recognized, as Sean says, while he's squatting and farting and, and all of these things. But I also so think what I, what I said about Mitch and, and Robin is I would love to ask them why they chose to have him crapping like that and farting all the fart noises because it's farts have- are funny. <laughs> farts are I- funny. <laughs> But I think it's the absurdity of everything in this episode that holds all of this weight is all absurd. It's nothingness again. Nothingness. I was eating and I had to fast forward a couple seconds of it. I I was like literally eating and watching him wipe his butt. I'm Mm -mm. like, this is disgusting. I am a chick when it comes to stuff. I don't think seeing a dude crap or even a chick. I don't want to see anything. I yeah. mean, I don't we've all seen each crap. other pee. We're all in the bathrooms together. Girls pee together. It's a, it's a thing. Whatever. Yeah. Crapping, different story. Men don't care, I guess. Who knows? I don't know. There's a lot of things I, to talk I was, about I'm there. not down with it. No. So, Soprano home. Carmela can't sleep. She's watching that um, commercial, um, the profile toner. So, she's convinced that the college admissions are all about connections, which is kind of, well, she was right into the college scandal do you remember that dude the Lori Loughlin are you talking about like Felicity Huffman and all and all yes I could wait I was like first of all you know I started getting into that whole thing because this is a thing well people do this whole rigmarole just to get into freaking preschool elementary school whatever you know and then this college scandal comes out across the U.S. Crazy. She paid a half a million, Lori Lachlan. I'm going off. I'm going left. Go. She paid a half a million dollars to guarantee her daughter's admission. She's spending two months in a federal correctional institution. And by the way, upon my reading and rabbit hole diving, she gets to do Pilates. She gets to do um, yoga, Pilates, spinning, ceramics. So these are the classes in jail that she can take. So I was thinking that you and I, to get back into shape, Wait, is she need still to in commit jail? a crime. Yes. That's more than two months. No, they didn't start their Her and her husband both got two months, Lori Lachlan <laughs> and her husband. And what happened is, when the, I think when the month started, I don't know exactly which months, but the quarantine hit. So she was supposed to be able to see her family. And then there are like no more visitors in jail because you don't want people spreading that, you know, whatever's happening in jail. But yeah, she gets to do a spinning, ceramics, Pilates. She, you get 300 minutes a month on the phone that you can call at any time. 
and you get to buy non-generic toiletries. There's a high-end toiletry shop that you can spend money in. Are you kidding me? What is this? Well, yeah, this is what I want to talk about. Forget this full other... I'm like, really? These women, um, Felicity Huffman, she got two weeks in jail, two weeks, and had to pay $30,000, which is nothing for them, I'm sure. Do you know how much those girls were making on Desperate Housewives? Oh, they were on desperate. They were on Desperate Housewives with you. Uh, Felicity was. <gasps> oh my god, I didn't. That's even why put her name is the only name that stands out to me. Well, Lori Loughman was Full House. I don't know who she is. I'm oh, I'm a loser, but I know who Felicity is. <laughs> she used to go to some parties up here in the mountains, so I would see her walking around. I mean, if you had to go to jail for two weeks and you knew that they had spinning Pilates and ceramics, you and I have been trying to get back to Pilates forever. Jail might be the great place for you and I. I mean. We're, I think we're doing it all wrong here. We'll get fed for free. We could talk all night about nothing. Oh, my God. Amazing. <laughs> and we could do Pilates all day long and make ceramics. I'd be happy. I mean, the fa- I mean, yeah. Carmela definitely went um, – she went straight with it, even though she bullied the hell out of that woman to get what she needed. She could have gone dirty with it, too. Well, she was try- – she was, like, flexing her family muscle there. She was the villain, I feel like, of this episode, for sure. Oh, super villain. Yeah, I loved it. Super villain. I mean, she definitely struggles daily, but she's like, you know what? I'm in this life. What am I going to do with it? I might as well use it to my benefit, or at least my child's benefit. Yeah. But, you know, her daughter really wants to go to Berkeley, so why not flex to get her into Berkeley? You know what I thought was crazy with this whole, I don't know if this scene or what, what it was, but Meadow is super smart we all know that she's always studying you know obviously she's an intellect and all her friends are getting into colleges and she's not well i like that hunter scangarello gets into reed college first of all reed is not the kind of school that um kids from jersey are going to like my nephew goes to reed my nephew is a freaking genius like a literary genius everything and he goes to read. I mean, it's a super intellectual, crunchy kind of kind of school. So Hunter Scangarello going to read. But then, t- you know, Carmela diffuses it by saying her parents went there. But her parents went to read? I don't think so. I mean, my father didn't graduate from New York till we found – we uncovered his last credits at NYU. He went to NYU. We didn't even know it. He graduated when I was in my 20s. Wow. Because he didn't know how to get his graduation certificate. But it took him, like, like I don't know, like 13 years to get that diploma. It took me six. My mom didn't even finish college, and she became a teacher. So where we come from, college is not the thing. My husband never, I mean, all his friends who are, you know, really successful musicians, they all GED. Shooter My dad, didn't go. too, but he, he, was in the, he was in the military. What? Shooter didn't go to college either. He didn't either? No? No. Robbie did. But it's crazy. It's like unless – now we're in a day and age where unless you're going to go on and get your master's, it's almost like why go to college and spend all that money for four years unless you're going to go and get your master's? Like what my husband did is – what Dave did is he went and to a specialty music school just for music. Well, what do the masters even get you? A master's in music. So what, what is that going to, you know, he's going to go get a job in some kind of studio or whatever. I mean, I feel like 
a master's if you want to be a teacher or if you want to be a PhD, if you want to be a yeah. doctor, um, a lawyer, all of those things. But but a master's just in general is just kind of masturbating. <laughs> you know, you're just that's that that was where you wanted to go. <laughs> well, I would love to get my master's in film production, but do I need it? No, but it would be fun to go back to school and and, because basically what I'm doing here is like getting my master's degree in friggin' Sopranos. I feel like I'm in school every time I watch an episode and tear it apart. (laughs) Me too. I know. I'm like, well, mommy's got to study. My my kids are like, you have the best job ever. You have the mommy studying. You have the best job. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of do. Thank you. It's actually a lot of work. I feel like I'm working on a senior thesis all day long. I know. Well, yeah, you definitely take it to that level. I'm like the kid in the class, like, hey, I got to study this weekend. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I just like Carm's whole thing with the doing whatever she can t- do and extortion to a certain degree. Yeah, amazing. With the college thing, it's funny, but yeah. What was the commercial choice for? What was that? The plastic surgery commercial? Oh, profile toner. I don't know. It was... Um, it was a plastic surgery commercial. A- I mean, because everything is specific and deliberate. Not everything always, Ab- but I think in this episode, there has to be some sort of specificity. Is that even a word? Because I'm going to use it if it is. <laughs> I just might have made up a word. Well, a profile. Um, like, think about that. When you, have, when you study someone's profile, that could be, um, and we're just spitball on here, like a file. Like, they're... Their resume, their what's on oh, their yeah, profile. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about it like that. I was more thinking about plastic surgery and how one can change their appearance and alter their appearance. Well, that too, because she's, she's got two appearances right now. She's the wife, but now she's the villain. So there you go. Well, so this, is, this is where my theme comes in, the duality of man. And I think it relates to everything that we go through within this show, even... Um, the fact that Jeannie and Joni Cusimano are not just sisters, <laughs> that they had to be twins. Twins. Is mm-hmm. now taking the whole and splitting it in half. And it's the duality and they're opposites, the two of them. But we'll get mm-hmm. into that after. But I do think it yeah. relates to a lot of pieces in this. Because when they talk about Full Metal Jacket, that's that's been an ongoing theme with that. Anyway, continuing on yeah. to Richie's office. Oh, I was going back to Tony. Oh, just one second. Ahead. He's just like totally powerless. So she's watching the commercial, right? He's Is this the scene where he's asking her? Yeah, he says take a Xanax. Yeah, and he just doesn't. I mean, it's not a big point. I just, it's interesting to see him not to be able to do anything. She emasculates him. What did she say? I don't remember. Well, she's not intentionally emasculating him. It's He's saying, what can I do? You know, I'll do whatever I have to do. And there's nothing he can do because this isn't his area of expertise. But then she goes and uses his his area of expertise to her benefit to threaten people. He could have gone and threatened somebody, but it probably would have cost someone a life or a leg. She does it with a regot pie. Well, she does it in a different way. She's yeah. like, look, he couldn't do it the way she did it. And that's when a woman comes in because she did it and like, well, I, I don't. He's very direct. And she was trying to be vague but direct, I guess, for sure. Right. Um, Richie's office. What do you have to say? You said something you liked it. Oh, I love the set design because it's always old timey in there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I did like it. I like it. Um, this is where Silvio and Polly visit Richie to tell him to build the ramp for Beansy. 
I also feel like Richie was excited when they got there at first, and that got immediately shot down. Yeah. I feel like he was pumped that that the boys were coming to see him, like maybe, because this episode, he genuinely is trying to ingratiate himself to the boys. He wants to be one of the boys, which is why it's kind of like, like I said, big boys don't cry. He, even though he's working that angle, there's the duality of it. The other side of it is manipulation also, but he also gets his feelings extremely hurt over and over again. I know. Um, it makes me root for him. I have to tell you, I don't know if I'm rooting for him because I'm just such a big fan of David Preval or because he's, he's, A, he's such a good actor. All of his choices are just blow me away. It's everything opposite that I would assume he's going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just like him. And I feel bad. He's Either he's trying to bring Tony back in and have this relationship with him or there's a power struggle. I can't figure it out. Well, the power struggle, I mean, when he's when they say build a ramp, he says to Sirico and to Stevie, yeah, maybe when I'm over there, I could fuck his wife. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm saying, his delivery. I mean, oh I, mean my God. I know these he, are David Chase's words, but still. Okay, he goes, I'll build a ramp up to your ass and drive a Lionel <laughs> up there. Oh my god, it's too funny. I mean, I love him so much. Anyway. So then as Soprano Yard, she's talking about they just went to Willowbrook, which is for me, I used to that was my place. Willowbrook Mall. Mall? I've heard that on the radio Mm -hmm. before. I don't know anything about it. Oh my god. I that's the mall that my you want to go to the mall. It was like the big mall in my town was Willowbrook Mall. And we would go and my mom and I would shop all day at Willowbrook Mall or I'd meet my friends there. It's huge. Nice. She's petrified. Anyway, a little memory lane. Who? Sandra Santiago, by the way. Yeah. Sandra Santiago was gorgeous young girl in Miami Vice back in the day. She's a Bronx native. And I cannot believe what Carmela looks like when she pops her head over that fence. That scene, <laughs> she looks like she's straight out of the Brady Bunch. Oh, my God. The hair, her hair curl. It's so funny. It's straight out of the Brady Bunch or like a Leave it to Beaver or, you know, mm-hmm. she's Sandra D. there. She looks like the epitome of yeah. the 1950s housewife. She is benign. She is, you know, cheerful. She's innocent. She exudes innocence. The set behind her, the, the lighting even of the outdoors, the crispness, like it wasn't because we were shooting on film, but there was this very Truman Show-esque vibe to that, you know, Mm -hmm. which I think was really on purpose, that her outfit was so non-Guido. There was nothing gangster about her. So I think that that, again, is playing off kind of the duality of what all of these characters are going through. And it Mm -hmm. really looks like she's out of the Brady Bunch. It's crazy to me. And the way the camera moves with her, it feels like one of those scenes, like from the 70s. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it's the same thing you're talking about, duality. Like she's, you know, she's about to extort somebody to get her will, to impose her will. And yet she looks like this, you oh. know, this little Stepford wife. Totally. Yeah, the smiles so and her hair all turned yeah, up. Yeah. And yeah, it's great. 
What a great actress. Oh, my God. Uh, amazing. Hospital. Richie threatens Beansy, warns him not to go to Tony again. Again, it's a weak, vulnerable man in a wheelchair, flexing your masculinity again. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. I mean, there's not much to say. I mean, he's just like, yeah. Okay. Liz LaServa's house. Mom. Ma. By the way, did you like that casting? Of her? Yeah. I don't know. No? I thought it was perfect. I have to think about that. I wasn't blown away by like, oh, what a great choice to play your mother. You know, I think, to be honest with you, I think she could have been a little older. Do you know how old she is? No. She just looks great for her age. But she was nominated for a Golden Globe and an Oscar when she was eight years old. For a movie called The Bad Seed about a little girl named Rhoda who gets adopted and she Uh is trying to kill someone in the movie. I can't remember the full movie. But I remember she finds out that her mother, her real mother, was a serial, a psychopath serial killer. So now she knows that she's the bad seed. And the character's name is, I think it's Rhoda or something like that. Eight so years anyway, old, my God! I looked crazy. her. I looked her up, and I didn't know this. I forgot. She was. She's Italian. Her real last name is Russo. Well, I feel like her accent was so spot on. You can't fake that 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 well, right? Her mother. This is a little mm-hmm. piece of trivia. Her mother was a pro roller skater. Oh, done. I was like done. I was like, what is this about? <laughs> anyway, roller derby. Liz Laserva. Adriana's ma. Ma. Huh? And um, then he met ma- Christopher manhandles her, which I do not like. He no. literally manhandles her. Yeah. He She's really does. Not happy. He's out of control. Not happy. No self-control. But who does that to someone that you that you want to marry's mom? No self-control. He has no respect. No respect. No self-control. There's a hurricane, which is foreshadowing, in my opinion, because the minute he opens the door, thunder crashes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the thunder plays throughout the entire thing. So I don't know if if the writers even knew that this was going to end in a tragedy, but it's definitely to me some sort of foreshadowing for tragedy. And um, again, I think that you know he acts like somewhat of a psychopath, and I think that in oh. this episode, there's a lot of a lot of that psychopath behavior in the duality of all of these men with Richie and referring back to Full Metal Jacket, there's Pyle, Gomer Pyle. They call him Gomer Pyle, Vincent Afrio's character through the episode. Um, and it's usually the more, not the dim-witted, but there's just this, um, you know, two faces to a man kind of thing. Yeah. Do you think that Adriana wanted to be with Christopher or she just really just needed to get married? She just, her whole thing is marriage. You know those girls that you oh, grew up she, with. That they all, no. they all they could think about is marriage. Oh, I want to have a baby and be married. Yeah, I mean, I think Adriana's definitely someone who could have been swayed by another man had they loved her and made her feel worth, like she was worth something. But I think she really loved Christopher. I think she loved how inaccessible Mm -hmm. he was because she was so broken that a man that couldn't fully, you know, that was not fully accessible might be the move for someone like her. I think she didn't have a father. 
Um, I mean, these were all mm-hmm. the things that I gave myself when I was playing the part. I mean, she didn't have a father. She didn't have any self-worth. She was had, had an insane innocence, and she was very naive. Um, I think she really loved him. I yeah. think she thought he was sexy. I mean, these are all the things that when I was Adriana, this is what I believed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved Christopher. I oh freaking my God, it's coming out. Him. News alert. This is the clip. News alert. Adriana loves Christopher. I loved Christopher. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so the Soprano home. We have Junior and Richie and they're visiting Tony at his house. And Richie's shocked to learn that the ramp was Tony's idea. And uh, Tony insists that Richie build it. This is where the jacket comes in. Right? This is where Tony, uh, Richie gives Tony the jacket that belonged to Rocco. The jacket! The jacket. Where's the jacket? And that theme goes on and on for the entire rest of the episode. It's a big scene. I, you know, scenes are generally not that long on a TV show. Yeah. But he says it belonged to Rocco DeMeo. The DeMeo family was a northern New Jersey crime family in the 50s. And John Francis, Johnny Boy, Soprano, and Junior Soprano were um, the key members of it. Right? Yeah. The DeMeo family. Which, I, I don't know. Maybe I looked that up because I was like... Is that why it meant so much to Richie to give him this jacket? No, I think that the whole thing with the jacket is for him, for everyone to recognize that he is no one to be messed with. The fact that he took that jacket from Rocky DeMeo, who was the toughest guy in North Caldwell, whatever it was. Um, he, the uh, cocksucker had the toughest reputation in Essex County, but he never came back till I got he through with him. He never came back. And then- They um, took it right off his back, he said, or something like that, right? Yeah. Did he say that? So yeah. he's flexing and letting everybody know that he's the boss. So don't mess with him. But at the same time, it's a peace offering and it's an olive branch. But what mm-hmm. kind of peace offering and olive branch is this when it's riddled with a threat? You know what I mean? But Tony Soprano throughout this episode, he doesn't go to his angry place. He's, in some ways, the happy wanderer in this episode. He has Mm. smatterings of just being sort of, you know, accepting and has humor about everything. You see it later in Melfi's office. Yeah, but he he knows that that gift isn't genuine. He knows that it's riddled with something, like you said, because he's like... I'm not going to take that jacket. I mean, people sense different energies, and he knows that Richie's energy is impure, for sure. Yeah, that too. But I think he also really just doesn't give a shit. And I think he doesn't give Richie the even... I don't even think he pays the attention to Richie as a threat or as a thorn in his side as Richie would even appreciate. Like, if he even knew... (laughs) You know, and this episode is a lot about recognition and appearances and being accepted and you know, the, mm-hmm. the the authority taking you in and all that sort of stuff. Richie Aprile to him is just a speck on his shoe. It's like he's yeah. not even like, oh, I got to be careful with Richie Aprile or this guy, like Uncle June, like the kind of weight that Uncle June carries for him. Richie is just like, eh, you know. Yeah. Which he is terrible. Even, he doesn't care. For Richie. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I think he Richie's trying to ingratiate himself, but at the same time letting him know, I'm tough too, yo. <laughs> And the mm-hmm. whole thing with Look the jacket. It's so silly. Yeah. It's absurd. I know. You know? Um, anyway, Richie quotes the Tao Ching. He goes, like the mm-hmm. Tao says, gotta shut one door before another one can open. Yeah. About forgetting the past. I'm like, listen to this philosopher coming out of prison, doing yoga and quoting this, the, the Tao Te Ching. And then he tells him he looks like Robert Evans in the jacket. I mean, and I know. And Tony Soprano looks so silly in that jacket. It's ridiculous. And in this scene, so they, also, Junior is emasculating Bacala, you know, about the fingerprints, and he's treating him like a child. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of treating adult men like children. And, I, and also, I have a, we have a gangster gabagool moment. Gangster gabagool moment. Jing, jing, jing. We, I think we, we should have a Which bell. One? We need a bell for gangster gabagool moments. Yeah, you know what? Everyone on our podcast will probably want not subscribe with the bell. What? <laughs> Please don't. Dre, we don't need a bell. Need a bell. Please come back here. Sit down. I You're like a squirrel that sees something shiny in the corner. N- oh, no, no. Gangster gabagool <laughs> session. Okay. What gets mentioned in this scene? Broccoli Rob. Um... Broccoli Rob. Junior is taking it, doesn't want it. Then he gives it to Bacala. Bacala says, uh, Tony says, don't drown it in olive oil. And then Bacala says, well, can I help it if he likes to uh, mop the oil up with his bread? How delicious to mop up the oil from Broccoli Mm. Rob. But um, but Tony says it weird. He says rucola rob, but I guess that's another way you say it. Say it again, Bacarab. Broccoli rob. People it? say broccoli rob, but a lot of people say rucola rob, um, or you can just call it rapini. But do Italians pronounce the R? It's not broccoli. It's Bacarab. Oh my God, now I can't say it. Actually it actually is broccoli gonna... rob. It's broccoli rob, but the, but the Italians say rucola rob. They do? Rucola rob. Interesting. That's how Jim nice. says it on the show. But it's a bitter broccoli that is prepared best with olive oil and ju- just straight olive oil and tons of tons of garlic and some red pepper. And it also is delicious with um, ground up so- hot sausage in it. Oh, <sighs> hungry. Yeah. Okay. Gangster Gabagool just is going to make us hungry. Always. Carmela's house. She throws out the letter. Um, from Berkeley saying that uh, Meadows' admission is incomplete. Did you notice something strange, the sound in that scene? I didn't. Why? What was it? There are choppers going the whole time. You know, we hold for helicopters when we're acting. We don't act when there's a helicopter. We all stop. It's the, it's the mm-hmm. most annoying thing in the world. But every time there is an airplane, a helicopter, a car, every actor will stop acting while the cameras are rolling. It's a thing. It's like it's like just a known yeah. thing. So there's a choice to have a helicopter um, hovering in that scene. Interesting. Um, could it mean that Carmela is hovering as a mother? Could it helicopter mean- mom? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very interesting choice there. I thought we have to write these things down and then ask the writers when they come on. You and I are like two half brains. <laughs> Which we, where are Sean and Matt? Helicopter mom! Helicopter mom! Where's Sean I got it. and Matt? 
Yeah, but no one else is going to pick that out. I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone else is going to grab that little moment that the helicopter was in the I'm, background. I'm literally crying right now. <laughs> um, Sounds like propellers, Dre. It, a helicopter moment could also relate to the fact that they're never alone, that there's always something looming over their Bruin. shoulders, like mm-hmm. the FBI and the helicopters yeah. and blah, 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 blah. Absolutely. Anyways. More farting and crapping by Sean Gismonti. Oh. Disgusting. Yeah, disgusting. But he calls me a booyah hottie while he's crapping. I noticed. I knew. Yeah. You're disgusting. Like, thank you, but booyah no thank you. Hottie. Well, like, what's a what's a booyah hottie? By the way, I've never heard that term. I know it's obviously something hot, but like a booyah. What's a booyah? I don't is that know. Italian? I don't know it. Clearly, she's not okay. someone who who irons. I can hire someone who irons my shirts. Is the, <laughs> what is what Matt explains it would be. I, he, I don't need to get married because I can just hire someone to iron my shirts. This is what women do. We iron shirts. Asshole. There you go. I swore. Um, and I just put my middle Chris- fingers up for those of you who can't see me. That's what we do. We iron shirts. How cute we are! Yeah, Isn't it? so that's cute. It. And Christopher Chris goes she on loves about me. Yeah, she loves me. Does he say he loves me? No. No. And he just talks about your childbearing years. Childbearing years. Little does he know you might Little not be fertile. Um, spoiler. Anyway, he does not say anything about loving her. Yeah. So they're saying in um yeah, you might not be fertile, right? Hopefully. Yeah. You are. But um the fact that he says she loves me, it's like that's also there's also a sadness to that. It's like I better marry her, she loves me. It's like it's not the right reasoning. Do you know what I mean? Well, Mary's worried that no one else will, too. That's I think that's so more sad. the reason because he is so deeply deeply insecure and fractured. Yeah. yeah. Um so we're at the Soprano home and uh Carmelo takes Meadows Berkeley letter outside out of the garbage as you're stretching she's not going to act against her family she's showing that she's going to do the right thing by Meadow at least her right yeah showing her the evidence well I think she she takes it out thinking if I can get that letter for Georgetown and get her accepted into that school as quickly as possible then the Berkeley letter can be the Berkeley letter and it can exist and Meadow can still try and do what she wants to do with the Berkeley letter. But by then she will already have gotten into an equally amazing school. Yeah. But the next time you see Carmela, she's at Joni's office. So you see what she's got cooking. Matt and Sean introduce themselves to Richie. Richie won't even look at them. Look at them. Oh, you missed Beansy's house. They go to Beansy's house. And the only reason why I want to mention Beansy's house is because yeah. Vito Spatafor goes, we're here to fix the turlets. <laughs> Tor- oh, my God. That's such an East Coast thing. I feel like my dad or his family I just had to toilet. say it. Turlets. Why is there an R in there? Torlet. Torlet. Turlets. Okay. Matt and Sean introduce themselves to Richie. Richie won't look at them. And Richie's nonstop with Chris's nose. That was a funny scene. He says he can uh, yeah. he can smoke a cigarette in the rain with his hands behind his hand his his back. Um but you know what I liked about this scene? You know where they were on their way to? Do you remember? Hold on. No. What? They were going to look at IROX. <gasps> An IROC Z? Hell yeah. Like girl. a Z twenty eight? 
Yeah. yeah. You know, guess guess who had one of those? My brother. My brother, too. Well, he had a Trans Am. My brother had the Z28. Was the Z28 the IROC Z? I think so. My brother had one version of it, too. On the bottom of it, like, you know, like underneath the doors, like that whole, he, it was like orange and yellow. Sweet. It was kind of the colors of our of our logo. So and then he we, was dating, wait, you want to hear something so Jersey? He was dating this girl <laughs> in high school and they were like going out for, I don't know, like two years or something. So on her side of the door, he had her name like written on it. Like little, like right wow. above the handle, like in script. That's freaking yeah. romantical. Uh, yeah. He's I'm going to tell Robbie, ridiculous. he better write my name on that passenger side <laughs> door. On his IROG, on the van. <laughs> on the van. On the band anyway, van. Anyway, IROG Z with the T-tops. Amazing. Yeah, we'll go to look at yeah. They were going, uh, and they would, you know what I'd be listening to if I was in my IROG? Forget about mm. maybe it wouldn't even be Rush if I was playing like Adriana and I was in my IROC. What about the song Grace of God? By who? Is it Machine? Wait a second. No, you're not going to play it now. Wait, let Are me see crazy? if I can. I want to know who wrote it so everybody can go buy it because it's the best disco song of all time. Um, is it The Machine? I'm not sure. Um, Listen. <laughs> Listen to this. Listen to this. It sounds weird. How about my double chins? We can't hear it. Forget it. it. Okay. Uh Uh-oh. We can't hear. She's just going to dance. Can you guys all go buy it, please? It's so good. It's about what's happening in our world right now, actually. And she goes into a whole thing where she says, there but for the grace of God go I. And it's all talking about a world where there would be no blacks, no Jews, and no gays. That's exactly what she says in the song. Um, And talking about how she like she would rather just disappear if this is what our world is going to be. And it's it's an amazing epic disco song that belongs in an IROC Z. Anyway, I would love to drive around and listen to that with the T-tops off. Anyway, Joni Cusimano's office. Here we go. Yeah. Jeannie visits Joni, her twin sister. And they ask her about the recommendation for Meadow. Of course, she's like, are you crazy? The gangsters with. No, no gangsters at Georgetown. And this, she makes up this thing and she tells him, go ahead. I think what? this scene is super duality. This is where you see it at its at its finest in the show, down to the mm. point where he has chosen one actress to play both sisters and to make them twins, to split them right down the middle. Oh, wait a second. That was one actress? You didn't know? They're twins. <laughs> No, but it's not. No, they're two different actresses. No. Wait, he chose one. I thought he chose a set of twins. <laughs> no. Yes. They're, oh my. they're the doublement girls. <laughs> I just thought that they were twin sisters no. that he picked, that he casted. Mm-mm. Oh. No. Okay. The, Duality. And, Makes yes. sense now, Dre. And I think that Sandra, I feel like Joni is strong and Jeannie is fearful. And Joan says to her, mm-hmm. Joni says to her, 
the gangster's wife and Jean goes, it's a question of manners. So she's, you know, a question of manners. And then Joni's like, I have a reputation to protect. Do you want to be a doormat for the rest of your life? I have a reputation to protect. And do you want to be a doormat for the rest of your life? Those are kind of, those play in heavily to the theme of this episode. Yes. The doormat thing. And then she's like, I don't know. I thought the actress who was, well, they're both the same actress, but I thought that the one that was the neighbor, Jeannie, Mm -hmm. played it a little too much. I don't know. For me. For me, it was too, like, one way. Oh, you mean uh, playing playing too much nervousness? Yes. Yeah. It was too. It because was too much for me. It was like, uh, is it the acting? I don't know. I can say that. I'm not she, the actress, so I can comment well, she on people's might acting. Have been, might have been directed with it, but who knows? Yeah, it was too much. So then we're at dinners at the uh, Sopranos house with Carmela's parents, Richie, Janice. Janice um, is a real guidette here. Well, I love when Carmela was like, <laughs> she's just spot on as Tony's wife. She's like, Ma, sit. Janice, sit. (laughs) And Janice is like, I wasn't going to offer to get up, basically. She's like, her ass is planted in that seat. Yeah. And then Tony zeroes in on it. Like, oh, really? Yeah, Janice, you sit. Don't get up. Um, Carmela's cranky in this whole episode. She's very cranky in this scene. Uh, Yeah. Without missing a beat, though, cranky, too. Like, with that whole Janice thing. I liked it. And then Meadow finds the letter. Yeah. And then Jeannie, who's a mono, calls her and says, sorry. And again, her fear sets in. She keeps exaggerating about the woman who actually, the kid that is getting the letter, letter written for them. Um, yeah. Because she's afraid. And it's nonstop with the jacket and Richie. Oh, yeah. Where's the jacket? You Where's like the, the jacket? jacket? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. It's, oh, it's so this absurd. is when- The jacket thing is absurd. But I love those little tweaks because- we all go through stuff in life that like with friends, with everything that like sometimes it's like, what are we even talking about? This is absurd. You know what I mean? With no, but everything. I think the absurdity is on purpose. It's not that it's absurd yeah. that, that why yes. did they do that? I think that it was intentional, that the absurdity of it. No, that's what I'm saying. Like the fact that Chase added that in, it's like it's so real because that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes things are just absurd and you're like, what? how did I get, how did this happen? What? You know, this yeah. jacket situation was so absurd. You're right. And the fact that he keeps on needling with this freaking jacket. Tony's like, oh, my God, leave me alone. Yeah. Also, the episode has a lot to do with protection. And I feel like mm-hmm. um, the jacket was like the the copper coating of the bullet that, you know, mm-hmm. that they're referring to in the title. That jacket was a was an element of protection for Richie because he proved that he was the that he was the toughest guy in the neighborhood if he could beat out Rocco DeMeo and take his jacket off his back. So that yeah. jacket was a symbol of protection. Like the casings and the you know, like the the inner casing of a bullet. It's a medal of honor too, right? Yeah, exactly. Full metal jacket. So it's just like full metal jacket. Full leather metal jacket. Of honor. Damn. Yeah. You Ooh, and yeah. I put this stuff together. No wonder people like us. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> anyway. Deep dive. Deep, um, deep. Go deep, deep, deep. Wait, what did we just say? I had something else to say. Oh, Joni. Well, I want to say this. At that phone call, she, yeah, she's basically making some BS about the crack addict mother 
that whole thing. The I can't next believe you're scene, though, on the her. very next scene, Carmela is at Joni Cusimano's office. Now, Carmela opens the door, but before that, the camera comes in in that whole like predatory angle and zooms right in on her on the desk. Yeah, she so, she Which pushes is, her way in like a pushy housewife. Yep, but Joan's not right scared. Joan me. even says to her, "No, let her." Says to his assistant, "Let her in." She could have diverted that situation if she wanted to, but I think she was up for the challenge. She's like, "I'm not going to let this woman bully me." She bullies my twin sister. You know what I nope. mean? And then, boom! Carmela yeah. says at the end, "Thanks for this," and she even says, "Excuse me, are you threatening me?" Because Carmela goes. <laughs> I don't think you understand. I want you to write that letter. She goes, excuse me, are you threatening me? Threatening you? No. I brought you a regut pie and transcript so you can write a little letter from my daughter to go to Georgetown. Yeah. Here you go. I know you do the right thing. Yeah. That's it. So this is, this is how Carmela uses her violence. This is her thing and how she uses the power that she so struggles with on a weekly basis, daily basis. Yeah. Um, Vicious. So, Satriales. Are they okay. at Satriales or the Bada Bing? No, I'm sorry. They're at the Bada Bing. Matt yeah. and Sean follow Tony into the into Bing's bathroom. He says, I'd like to break my dick off in her ass. Yeah, no reaction. Tony's completely non-responsive. Tony Soprano says, Jesus fucking Christ, you little shit-eating twat. So Sean tries to talk about their safe cracking operation in the t- in the bathroom. Oh my god! And Tony gets pissed that they're discussing <gasps> it. He's like the wiretaps. We already talked about that already. Satriales. Um, so wait, a- hold on a second. We got a gangsta gabagool moment at Satriales. Eh. Hold on. We- that sound is so annoying. Gangster gabagool moment. Not that the ant eh is annoying. Okay, well, I don't know yet. I haven't settled on my on my new sound for Gangster Gabagool moment. Thank you. They're making pignoli cookies there. The best. They weren't making them. I'm going to make them because when I saw them, I was inspired. Um, and my daughter loves amaretto cookies. And they're pretty much the same thing because you use almond. You use the almond paste. But pignoli cookies are delicious. They're chewy and they're... Anyway, so that's our gangster gabagool mm, moment. But Satriales, that, that's another, one of my favorites. Me too. Um, I feel like he tells the DeMeo story again. And I feel like this is another version of mind control in this one. So let's go back to Full Metal Jacket and how those boys that are going off to Vietnam are all under some sort of mind control. So were the Vietnamese. Everybody who's being trained to go kill each other. And um, Tony kind of belittles Richie in this scene without belittling him. So in a way, it's kind of feels like a mind control thing. He offers him a coffee to kind of temper him. Do you remember? He's like, come on, have a co- let me let me buy you a coffee. You know what I mean? Like kind of treating him like a child to a degree who to calm him who? down. Tony does. With Richie, when Richie is feeling bullied again by Sirico and Silvio, Polly Walnuts and Silvio, et cetera. I feel like Tony always treats Richie like a kid. Like, you know, not reacting to his his absurdity, all of it. Like, that's what you're supposed to do with kids. You're not supposed to, you know, engage in all that stuff. Yeah, and then Richie falls back on the same story because he's feeling... 
emasculated and now he's trying to ingratiate the men to him and to show the men that he's a strong guy by telling yeah. that same story about the jacket again it's like it's rehearsed almost you know what i mean uh it's like rewind play i'm like i'm sick of it for tony yeah we get it the jacket it's freaking so, jacket yeah, I think he, freaking jacket so we're going to the Soprano home. This is where Jeannie shows up and confronts Carmela that her sister did write the recommendation letter. This scene was so creepy, too. Just like the Brady Bunch yeah. scene out in the yard. Carmela mm-hmm. couldn't. It looks like she's straight out of a 1950s commercial. It looks like she's straight I mean, out of the, a sitcom, the Truman Show. Just whatever. She's so. It, it's it's the bizarre. too. Yeah. It's the hair. It's all the choices. It's great. So David has his hand in all of that, like even the hair. Like he's definitely telling the hair people how to do her hair for this. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. I mean, he was, I mean, it could be her too. It can be anybody's choices. And her hair is usually like that, but it's definitely, there's a, there's a very clear leave it to beaver kind of um, vibe going here, you know? So when you went in for different things, for different scenes, would you be able to alter and tell the hair people how to do your hair? Like, oh, I want to wear it up on one side, or can you tease this out? Like, would you be able to direct them, or they already knew what style you were going to have before you were sitting in the chair? Actors have sometimes a very hard time with hair and makeup. They always feel bullied. You know when you go to a hair salon? And you always kind of feel like you have to cater to the hairdresser? Yes. And that Uh you're always uncomfortable. I don't know why that relationship causes so much stress. Do you realize that? It does for many women. Uh So it's like that for hair and makeup too. Um, So when you have a newcomer coming into the makeup trailer, I'll always go out of my way to make that newcomer feel really at home because they're generally not welcome. (laughs) Oh my God. Listen, hair and makeup people can be like they're all in their own little cliques, you know? Yeah, they're, they're not really welcome. So I and I know what it's like to be that character in the makeup trailer coming in on a show that already exists and coming in having, yeah. you know, being a woman who's I'm used to doing my makeup a certain way. I'm used to my hair being a certain way. And now hair and makeup, they want to do their job. But you're like, babe, <laughs> let me do your job for you. Because I know what I want to look like right now. But they're like, but yeah. you're not you're not doing you. You're doing a character. And it's like, at 50, I'm doing me no matter what character I'm playing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? To a certain degree. Yeah. So yeah. Um, back then, petrified. I would have done anything I they told imagine. me to do. But I didn't have my extensions yet, I noticed. Um, season three... Is my, my friend Anthony Viator came on the show and he started putting all these crazy clip-ins. My hair was like this. Like Adriana's hair changed drastically once she got engaged. When you wore your hair up, you look so little. You look so little like Blackjack. And that one scene where Chris proposes to you. Well, oh, I love that Whatever, scene. half proposes to you. That was not romantical. No, he, no, he was a jerk. But you were happy. She was happy. She was happy for a second. Christopher. I know. People love when you say that. Um, Okay. So the look on Jeannie's face when she's in that kitchen and the camera on on Jeannie, it feels like an attack going into them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like an ambush. 
Kind of. Yeah. yeah, totally. But she just wants to hug her. She's excited. Italians do that. I thought it was really weird that Jeannie didn't want to hug her at all. Well, she's, you know, fearful of her because she's she just basically threatened her in a weird way. Her and her sister or her sister. Yeah. Um, okay, Sean and Matt's apartment. <laughs> well, this to me is, a, the, is is where the real callback to Full Metal Jacket comes in. Yeah. Because these boys are the choice to put them in their white underwear. Uh, yeah. You know, like the tank top and the bottom. Um, he's sucking on a bong. Very much like Pyle puts the gun in his mouth after no, put... he shoots the drill sergeant. Um, it's reverse order, but... Yep. It's the same thing. It's almost foreshadowing for the death of these boys, the death, you know, the, that whole situation where the, the students kill the teacher. And yeah. And they basically, it's their suicide. They're basically on a fucking suicide mission. Yeah. Right. What were they supposed so, to, can I ask you, were they, do you think that that was just um, like a bong, like pot? Because why were they like freaking out to hide it so much? I guess back then. Weed is yeah, not legal. It's a, sign, it's a sign of weakness to be smoking weed to, and doing any drugs is a sign of weakness. I feel like um, Furio, they call him that zip, is here. I feel like he's the drill sergeant who comes knocking on the door and the boys have to, you know, salute to him. And, and the way he's knocking, like the drill sergeants in the morning. Yes. In the morning at Full Metal Jacket, they would have to line up there, Right. Out of yes. their bed and line up, and then they'd be like, "You piece of shit, blah blah blah." You know, now it's all coming exactly. back to me. Full metal jacket. Oh my god, so good. Oh it's no, so it reminds good. me of my me dad. So me love you long time. Long time. <laughs> it's all coming back. But yeah, so the um, same thing. Like you're right. He's knocking on that door like their drill sergeant to collect Tony's cut, and he also takes a grand for himself. Yep. But they're idiots. Total idiots. But the boys, they will become men after that scene. Well. Just like the boys will become men after, you know, Ermie gets done with them yeah. in, in Full Metal Jacket. One thing that I just thought that was so idiotic in that scene is who takes out um, Sean, the, the one who dies by Christopher. He takes out the entire wad of cash. You don't take out the entire wad of cash to pay someone like Furio. Of course he's going to ask for a grand or money. I'm surprised maybe he didn't ask for more. Maybe they're flexing, but they are. They're just so stupid. They're idiots. Like, you know, I'm surprised Furio didn't say, you know what? Actually, make it five. Give me the rest of that money. You're you're alive right now and consider yourself lucky. Well, for a grand, he knows he probably, those kids won't talk. But if he extorts them for like five, then Tony would find out. True. Um, and then why wouldn't he be kicking it up to him? But um, I like what Furio says at the end. That, he, that they're gay? These are two. They, are su they suck each other's cocks in the subtitles. Yep. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, the gay innuendos also in the army and the barracks that plays on masculinity throughout this episode and full leather jacket and, you know, men in their underwear and their vulnerability. Even when we see Richie in his underwear um, earlier this season, and he's emasculated by Tony Soprano while he's trying to cook eggs. I think it's it's just, yeah, they even get hazed in Full Metal Jacket when they're in their underwear, that whole blanket party thing. Oh, my God. They're so, hazed all the time, every morning, in their underwear. And the blanket yeah. party, so yes. When like they throw the blanket and they're like, Ch -ch -ch -ch. I think they would do that all the time. That was like a thing, right? Who's getting the blanket party? 
I'm going to give you well, a blanket party. that was the party. big hazing in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you a blanket party. <laughs> I just worked out. Oh, my God. I'm Look at those muscles, go. Dre. I'm impressed. Just, my arms are just big. Look at those. Oh, muscles. stop. Anyway. <laughs> Bingo. Now it's time to move on. You just had sex in bed with Christopher. Why didn't you tell us what that was like? Dre. Oh, first of all, did you notice you? how my lip is stuck in my... It was like this. Look. No, I didn't notice that at all. <laughs> all what I did notice is that smoking in bed, right? That's such a oh, late nineties, yeah, late nineties, like early two thousand. Like now, fantastic. Now you can't even like have a like, people that smoke outside. Everyone looks at like they're like, why would you have a cigarette outside, let alone in bed? Not like I promote cigarettes, but who cares? Anyway, moving Listen, on. My, my mother's night table drawer, mm-hmm. the inside of it was all cigarette, di- mm-hmm. like all burn marks from cigarettes being put out in there. And I had that with me for years and I did the same thing. But I put an ashtray in there because I was like, how disgusting was my mother? Oh, my God. These were civilized people. These were civilized, wealthy people in I the know. world. Everyone's got their thing. All her poochie nightgowns. C- uh, cigarette burns and all the poochy nightgowns. I was like, hmm. That you know what that is? Written. You know what that is? When I would hear the faucet running in my mother's room after I would hear moans and groans coming from there and then the faucet would run and I would be like. Oh my God, Dre. We're getting into a whole different territory right now. I, you just Sorry. had me. Wait, um, you had me at poochy gowns with cigarette butts in them. Can we... Well, we're talking about sex scenes. I First, know. Okay, no, wait, stop, stop. My stop. lip is stuck in my in my gum. I'm like this. <laughs> so is um, is Christopher Moltisanti a good kisser? What are those lips like, Dre? I don't remember. <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> I plead the fifth here. Yep. Okay, he's talking about Tony. I loved Christopher. I, you know, I know, <gasps> I know myself, and I know that if I was in bed with Christopher, I was in love with Christopher. There wasn't even a doubt in my mind. I have something else to say. Your bra and underwear hmm. set, I had it. Had it. What was it? It was a pink leopard. I had that matching set, and it was a G-string at the oh, bottom. That was mine. Yeah, I know it no, was. No, mine wasn't a G-string. I- Okay, well, I had the that G- was mine. I had the thong version of that set because I was like, "Oh my oh, god!" Amazing. I was watching that. I'm like, I had it was a leopard. It was like a mesh, but you can't see through it. See through, yeah, but it was like barely see through. But yeah, I had the exact same it's pretty see through. Your nipples get all squashed in there. Yes, you know when that happens, yes. and you can see the nipples. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry for. You guys having to hear no, this you're conversation. Me fix my hair. But anyway, yes, I had the exact same set. So I had to note that in my notes. This is an important moment for Christopher where he says, um, T was right. You know, keep, I have to focus, no drugs. I'm back on track, Adriana. I'm redirecting myself right down the line. And look at what getting back on track ended up meaning. Well, he says that, yeah, he says that things were problematic. Because he couldn't communicate his needs. This guy. Well, wait. I'm talking about beyond that. I'm talking about what happens to him the minute he redirects his focus in his life. His karma sets in like that. Yeah. Yeah. He should have stuck to screenwriting. Just he saying. really should have. I mean. He would have had a nice career in acting. He could have been like thought. the next Joe Pesci. I was like, he could have worked it out if he didn't start to arm wrestle or 
manhandle. Once again, okay, so that goes back to my point here. Mr. He says things were problematic because he couldn't communicate his needs. And um, he only communicates with violence. And it's the same thing he did to John Favreau. He communicated and he wrestled him and that which made him like he wasn't able to be on set anymore and that kind of de yep. you know x him out blackballed him out of that whole that whole area so yeah and he's obviously abusive to Adriana that's how he communicates to her yeah, but yet he's he's, he's he doesn't know how to control himself yeah but he's too impulsive i feel like in that scene when you guys are after done having sex he's blaming it Maybe not. Maybe I'm reading into that. Maybe I feel like he's blaming it on Tony. Like he couldn't communicate his needs. I kind of like maybe he didn't feel safe to, but he just doesn't know how to. He doesn't have the tools. Yeah. I mean, she's talking about them. He's talking about the bigger picture. Yeah. Totally. For sure. Anywho, Soprano House, Richie drops off the food. What is that food? Gangster Gabagool moment. Ding, ding, ding. Gangster Gabagool. (laughs) I feel like like some weird old like late night talk show. The old lady comes in. She has like the, the, the little old lady walks by with the tambourine. I'm the little old lady who walks by with the tambourine. Um, so tripe. Wait, I'm in Dave's studio. There must be some sort of instrument I can grab here too. You have a tambourine. You have tons of instruments and you also have a tambourine. I'm going to get the mandolin. I use the tambourine at Dave's. <laughs> okay. So go ahead. What were you saying? Um, the tripe. Adrip. Adrip is the way they say it. Adrip. Okay. It's menudo. It is intestines. Ugh. It is any kind of intestines. And it's disgusting. And I I looked it up because I just wanted to see different recipes the way the Italians made it. And I was really struck by the fact that there was I, I you know people can say that's tripe you know what I mean yeah. like and I never really paid attention to that word because it's not a word I would ever use but the definition was there along with the definition of the what part of the cows you know different parts of the animals bodies and the tripe means um rubbish it does it's like yeah that's tripe. nothingness yeah oh yeah nothingness there we go again. Just like the wind. There you go. Just like no, the wind. She's like the, the wind. Rubbish, <laughs> she's like the wind. What movie is that from? The rubbish is what struck me more. Um, that's That would be Dirty Dancing, Chris. Very good. Mm-hmm. Ding, 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 ding. Patrick just, Swayze. Another segment. <laughs> we just added. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was more struck by the, the word rubbish with it because the jacket. A, a ridiculous situation, rubbish, yeah. nothingness. Those boys needing to step it up to get some, gain some notoriety. Why? Why do you need to step up right now? Again, rubbish, nonsense. Nonsense. So nonsensical. it's just sort yes. of, um, yeah, nonsensical. And the humor with this episode of how it doesn't take itself so seriously is also tripe, kind of. Do you know what I mean? So I think, but I also feel like every gift that, that Richie brings on another note, the other side of it is every gift he brings is like, Oh, come on, bro. Really? Like we got to like pretend we dig your gifts. Like this old jacket that smells like mothballs. Now the tripe, it's like that weird aunt that keeps bringing over this weird shit. You don't want 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you have to pretend you like it. Yeah. And it's like they they made you these th- those weird cookies with the things on them and the honey things, and you don't, you're like, oh, I got to eat this in front of them now. Thanks. Yeah. Totally. He just yeah. doesn't get That's it. That's Richie. He's trying. Yeah. He's trying. Yeah. He doesn't get it. Oh yeah, it's not nothingness tripe. It's 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 nonsense. I'm sorry. It's nonsensical stuff. Yeah. So this is where he sees the maid's husband in that jacket. Oh. And did look And the way he looked and the way they shot it. Yeah. They shot it in a really specific way too. But um you see him look like a psychopath. Totally. And I feel like this happens in this episode with the psychopaths from casting um, Patty McCormick, who plays a psychopath in The Bad Seed, to Richie April's psychopathic tendencies throughout the entire uh, season that he's in it, to the comparison to Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. Mm-hmm. And then you have the um, Gomer Pyle character in comparison to Bevilacqua and Gizmonti. I feel like it's all... Because he looks like a full-on psychopath. Um, yeah. No, I feel like he was hurt, though. I saw his pain. Like, he couldn't... You know when someone says something to you that really throws you or you see something that throws you and you're in a conversation with somebody else and you just, like, you can't finish that conversation. And that's what happened with him and Carmela. He's talking about... She's like... Bah, 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 his, bah, bah. his blood was boiling and he looked like a psychopath. Yes. Anyway... Moving on to the bada bing with the clowns dumb and dumber. Total liability, those two. What about that crowd in there? The crowd, when the, this is the first time you really observe the crowd at the mm-hmm. bank. That's a fantastic crowd. They all got those crazy glasses on. I mean, so funny. It, it made me want to go hang out there. Like, I was like, oh, you know what? First of all, A, in this whole thing that's going on in the world, Miss, Miss oh. Bars. Second of all, do you remember, like, uh, it was so fun, like, when we were young and we used to, like, go to those dark bars, strip clubs, whatever, and just, like, carefree. Nothing. It was just nothingness. You want to go to a strip bar, Chris? Oh, here we go. I sh- No, I shouldn't have brought that up. Anyway, Chris, I want to go to any bar. Chris, you want me to pick? Oh, yes, pick me Chris, up. Let's go. you want me to go. pick you up in a limo? <laughs> There's a private strip bar that's still functioning in quarantine. Is there really? And <laughs> I no. think it's here. In I thought house. you were going to say that. It's me, Monkey, and Letty. <laughs> Monkey is her 88-year-old like mother, basically. That kind of helped raise Dre that she takes care of now. Which I would love to see her on a pole. <laughs> I'm sure she could. Yep. Okay. I used to go to strip bars all the time, actually. It was my favorite pastime when I was younger. Don't don't kill me, people. No, it's fun. I think every kid does that. Girls, guys. I mean, we, we, I, you go with oh, the guys. I it was loved fun. It. I remember when I went with... I loved um, it. I have a story. I went to uh, Scores <laughs> with Dave and the band. I love Scores. I have to tell the story. I mean, people might hate me. It's a quick story. Dave was in Velt Revolver. I think I've mentioned that a fucking few hundred times. Anyway, we went after a show to Scores, and I have an eye phobia thing. Like one, was that Phantasm? I think you might have told me. And the thing, remember Phantasm, that movie, the the things coming at his eye? I saw that when I was like eight or seven, and it like drills a hole through his eye, through his head. So when people touch their eyes in front of me or anything, I get totally freaked out. So we go to- Like this? 
Yeah. I mean, I've whatever. Anyway, so we go to a strip club after the show, me, the band, a couple of my friends from New York, and I thought I was cool. And I'm like, Dave, let's get lap dances. Right. So I get lap dances for Dave and I. And we're like, I come back. Slash is sitting in the in our booth thing. And he's like, that's really cool, Chris. He's like, so you got over your eye phobia thing, right? I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? He goes, look at that. He goes, look at the chick that just gave you and Dave a lap dance. And he points at her and she, and then I look at her eye and it's just got a full glass eye, but it was like <laughs> popping out of her head. Oh my God. It was so bad. You I didn't see gr- it because you were busy looking at her, tit- her titties. Oh my God. I grabbed Dave's hand. I'm like, we are out right now and I left I was so drunk and so upset like I just couldn't I don't know oh my god I like that Slash said to you that's so cool Chris you got over your iPhone he's like that's so he's like I can't because everyone in the band knew like I had this thing with snakes and eyes and whatever like I those are my two things I was and he was like that's so cool that you just like really just got over that right now I'm like what are you talking about dude like what yeah Anyway, probably have to cut that whole thing out so people don't think I'm a horrible person. But listen, Um, no, it's totally fine. She's like Billy Barty. Who? (laughs) Billy Barty. Forget about it. Anyway, (laughs) back at the bada bing, the crowd in there is a bunch of total Guido looking old men. It's such a strange crowd. But the boys say to each other, we're like two scared rabbits, two douchebags. So now there's that conditioning thing again coming up where they have been conditioned to think that they can't be scared. They can't look like douchebags. They always have to be, you know, in a place of power, looking like they're powerful. So, you know, in mm-hmm. that moment, this is where they make that decision to step it up. Idiots. Yeah. I mean, but like, how did they derive from the conversation with Richie that this is, this would be something that Richie would even want? Like, that's just, it's just preposterous. I like, think he never everything said. Everything is messing with their heads. Everything's messing with their heads at this point. And by the way, you... look at the name of the song for that, that scene. What was it? Fuck With Your Head by DJ Rap. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy, right? Yep, I guess that makes sense. That closes that so, scene, people. Yeah. Soprano House, Meadows pissed at Carm for going through her room. What a this is what She's we're gonna awful deal with. in this scene. If Bama awful. fucking ever talked to me like that, guess what? I'd be like, get the fuck out. It's coming, ma'am. We're both nope. gonna have to that's what I'm saying. We're both gonna have to She's such a brat. And it's like yeah. always a storming up the stairs. But you know what? My daughter does that now. She'll like storm in her room and try to close no. her door but we have those pocket doors so it doesn't really work the way she wants the effect doesn't doesn't really work <laughs> oh my god i We're won't have that shit it. dude but but guess no. what happens in this scene mm. it's mind control again going back to full leather jacket and the vietnam war uh, carmella is using jedi mind tricks on her do you notice the switch in yeah. the scene yeah But how many times have you done that as a parent, too? I haven't done that yet because I'm too (gasps) forward and honest. Oh, I'll sometimes I'll make them think that they I'm too I'm too impulsive. No, sometimes I'll be like, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. You actually know I've done that. 
Yeah, I have yeah, done you've that. done that. I've seen yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, you know, yeah. you're just like, oh, really? You know, you're totally in control. Sure. Yeah. Sure, you are. You know, <laughs> like right, right. Great. Okay. Bye. Going over here. You know. Yeah. So she kind of just is like, what did she say? Um, um, she says, "What right do I have to interfere?" Yeah, but then it goes from that Jedi mind trick, smash cut to Melfi's office, and in this scene, Tony Soprano is smiling. It's another scene where they're talking about mind control, and he's talking about controlling his own daughter by the in the act Which of I giving him. Yeah, I wanted. I don't get this. I wanted to ask you why. Like, why do you think he, he says was? It. He says it. Ju- he it says say? it plainly. He says, "I'm rubbing her face in shit. I'm rubbing I'm- her nose in it." Mm-hmm. Um, and because Scatino is a stand-up, respectable guy in the neighborhood, and she puts her father down and her mother down yeah. for for making their peace with this lifestyle, and basically says to them, "Anything you say or do." will never resonate for me. You have no authority. Look at the kind of human beings you are. Where's your your moral compass? How the hell would I ever take advice or or reprimands from you guys? Learning from you is like, you know, going yeah. to the dime store to learn something. So he's rubbing her nose in the fact that I took this car from this man who you think is a respectable man in the neighborhood. You think that this man who owns a store, a regular happy wanderer, all, you know, one of these regular guys, um, I took his the hard car worker. From, yeah, the, the the stereotypical perfect um, neighborhood man, the perfect yeah. American dad, and he breaks that ideology over her head with and look at what he's done and look at but basically i mean none of it's right it's all crazy and then melfi says um that he's helping her face her moral ambiguities um and Mm -hmm. he says don't fucking try and tell me that i'm helping my kid when i really was just rubbing her nose and shit and then he even says not those freaking ducks again well she's leaving the nest so that's why she said that's why melfi's saying were you trying to like prepare her, right? Right, with the moral ambiguities and all that stuff. But but I think more than that, it was him rubbing her face and the fact that, you know, even your ideal man is not a perfect, this man's not a perfect father. Look at how he screwed his son over. And he made her an accomplice to his extortion and his, the spoils. Those are the spoils of his business. There's got to be some comparison there, too, to Full Metal metal Jacket, too, the hierarchy. I don't know what it is. I'm just saying there's got to be something. It's mind control and how with the mm-hmm. whole, you know, the Vietnam War and you know all the the things they were doing on these these boys before they became men and before that they, they had to fight. Um, there's an element of that that's rampant through this show where Tony is always being... Um, and not just Tony, even Junior, where they're all being influenced by other people's ideas, other people's opinions, other people's appearances. Meadows, one of them, by a family like Scatino. Um, yeah. Tony doesn't. Tony is is more. I think he's also showing the duality here. Also. Well, I think he also a man feels like judged. Tony Soprano and a man like Scatino. Yet there really yeah. isn't duality. They're one and the same. No. Jekyll and Hyde. 
And he might feel judged by Meadow, you know, like, oh, he, he's, he chose this life of crime. And he's like, here's your other guy. Here's the other side of the coin. And look, he's a degenerate gambler. So yeah. there you go. Which no side would you want? Would you want? Would you want the boss who actually makes money, doesn't get in trouble, technically is protected to some degree? He might get shot at or a few times. Yeah, whatever. But he's protected. Or you want, or you want some low level, low level crime, normal, normal in quotes, family. So maybe you're right. That's the nose rubbing. That's the nose rubbing that he mentioned in it. Interesting. But it's a way of controlling her. Mm -hmm. And he's got that smile on his face when you get there, where he, you know, it's like he's got something in his pocket. Yeah. You know, and it's the same way Carmela, it it cuts from Carmela's smile to Tony's smile. And they're all dealing with Meadow. Yeah. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. And this is how you groom these children to go to war. Like the Vietnam War, the full metal Uh jacket. I'm going far here. (laughs) Totally. I'm following you, man. It's probably not even true. I'm right. You're like my bunkmate in full metal jacket, man. I'm following you. I'm following you down to the bunker. What if you find a jelly donut in my locker? Just like uh, Gomer Pyle's jelly donut scene when he finds, and they're all in their underwear. Oh, yeah. Doesn't he get in trouble for that? Is that what what it was? Oh, my God. And they make the whole, they all get in trouble for it. Do you know how long ago I watched this? I just wanted, like, I remember being, like, almost, this movie's old, right? Like, when did it come out, Full Metal Jacket? Do you remember? What year? 87, I think. I was in seventh grade. I remember, I was Waylon's age, and I remember watching it with my dad, Anyway, moving on. That people don't want to hear our life stories. I guess I don't know. Mm. Richie's office, your your place that you love the set design. No, I did like it. Don't, wait, so. you can't skip over the Jersey Diner. <gasps> huge I scene. Bro. What am I thinking? No, that was huge. Sorry, my. You know, I'm not used to this monitor thing. I'm used to my notes on paper. I'm trying to save a tree. Okay, yeah. Chris leaves the diner. Not knowing on the phone, he's like, "Whoa, what was he talking about?" Uh, what she said, I need this. I guess I'll. I, what was he saying? I forgot. The ramp. He was. But, uh, uh, he he had to go check on the ramp. Oh, uh, the ramp. And he was it annoyed was that he had to do grunt work. Yeah. See, so you see his rank, his ranking, and then you see these two boys drive up with their ranking, but they're trying to rank Idiots. higher by taking this guy's life. Like it's just, it's just a cluster. It's so funny insanity. that he wears a seat. Who wears a seatbelt to go murder somebody? Okay, and he—he's the he protect your own life. Yeah, I know. That's it's the silly. funny part. Put on your seatbelt, Dre. We're gonna go kill somebody. Make sure you mm-hmm. buckle up, though. Buckle up, buckle up, Buttercup. <laughs> it's that's yeah. absurd. Yes, that's absurd. And it's yeah. and it's a callback to Livia, of course, when she says, Do you, he, "And those kids were murdered. They would, I mean, they died in the car because of their seatbelts." Yep, there you go. Oh, that's right. The car blew up or something because they we, we were they couldn't get the seatbelt off. All a big nothing. All a big nothing. Um, Matt escapes, and then we're in back into Richie's cool office. Um, and Matt goes there to like, we did it. You said you didn't like him. You idiot. You idiot. Who said we didn't like him? We we said he had a big nose. That's it. Who is he talking about, Richie, when he says that two-faced, ungrateful fuck? 
Is he talking about Tony Soprano or, or Michael Imperioli? I don't know. Because I wonder who he's calling two-faced and ungrateful. Does he think Tony Soprano's two-faced? I don't know. That's a weird line right there. Because why would he think because he killed Christopher... I thought he said something to the degree of like, you're not going to get me involved in this. Because he said, I'm with you now. Like, you got to help me. This is what Matt was saying to Richie. And Richie's like, oh, no, no, no. You're not with me. Like, you're not getting me involved in this craziness. I don't, I want to look that up because I don't remember what that situation was, why he said that. But he chases him outside with a bat, which is kind of, which was funny. He's like, get out of here. He's even every walk. The way he holds the bat. White shoes on, too. I like the white shoes. I didn't notice that. I like that, though. I like it. Um, okay, so then Christopher's in the hospital. Is this the last scene? Where Tony's, yeah. like, totally distraught? How could this happen? How I remember happen? shooting that whole scene that takes place in the next episode. I remember it very clearly. You do? Yeah, that was back when I took acting more seriously than I took anything on this planet. I took it more seriously than breathing. That's great. That means you obviously really had a passion for it. I was was hysterical crying. They had to calm me down through that whole time. When? Next next episode. Well, I can't wait to get to it. Should we just read the closing? No, I have a question. When this episode, when that was written... Did you think that Christopher was going to survive that? Like you knew that he was going to or it was because David Chase would just I mean, Christopher was a main guy. Would he really have killed him off? Like, Did the cast think that that was a probability? No, I don't think that that there was even a chance that he was going to go. Mm -hmm. He was such a big part of, you know, you could never kill that character. No, no, no. Too important. So you knew, but but but, that but you know, I don't, I don't want to create a spoiler. I mean, we do know what happens at, at one point. Um, I'll just brush my hair. I really don't remember, so don't spoil it to me. Uh, you know something? I don't remember either because I didn't watch uh, season six as diligently as I watched five. By the time six came out, I was so busy doing that freaking sitcom. I didn't have time for anything. So even my soprano obsession fell by the wayside. And it wasn't because I wasn't on it anymore. I literally didn't have time to to watch it as religiously as I had before. But because they killed you on it, did you feel like, you know, like sometimes when you have a breakup with somebody, friend or relationship, it's like kind of like especially Yeah, no, not bitter. I don't think you would ever you know the type to be bitter. No, you're not jealous either. I would get jealous when I saw Christopher with new girls. Oh, you did? Oh, That's yeah. cute. I don't oh, see, yeah. I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say, just sad. Like, sometimes you just can't revisit it or, you know. It was painful. Yeah, just sad. It was still painful, painful to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Like, that was my home. That, I yeah. just, it's like leaving your house. It's like selling your home. You just sold your home and you drove by it. You don't want to drive by that house for a while. Yeah. And I'm thinking about selling this home. So you just brought up, you just touched a really sensitive oh subject. <laughs> no, don't, don't do that. I actually got a letter today from the lawyers in New York about my fire in New York. And people <gasps> have been asking me about it this week. And I said, that's a dead issue, you know, with coronavirus, uh, you know, with everything that's been going on with the pandemic and everything. 
there's just no way that we're going to see money from that lawsuit. That was 2015. I was like, the state of New York is such a mess right now. And then we got an email today talking about Good. revisiting the lawsuit. I mean, I lost, I lost a lot. You know, the fact that it's been five years, Dre, and that you haven't settled that case, that they have not settled for well, you. It's a and class action. You... Oh my God, someone died, right? Yeah, but that part of the case is separate from ours. Two boys died what actually, but oh. their their case is settled. They had to settle that before they got into of course. all of the financial implications they were up against, you know. But how long does it take? Five years? You would think that... Well, dealing with the homicide aspect ago. of it took took five years. So now we're, we're in this, and this whole year yeah. has gone by. But, um, you know, for those of you out there, I've talked about it before. It's not like we make a ton, a ton of money. And when I lost my house in New York, I really, it, it kind of changed everything for me financially. And I didn't want to acknowledge it at all when it was happening because I had this house. So I felt like, how could, how dare I even um, bellyache for a minute that I lost my house when other people lost their their one home and but that was my main home. This was not ever meant to be my main home, but my whole childhood was in that apartment. And it was one thing to lose everything from my childhood. I mean, everything and everything oh. from The Sopranos, which is. And um, people don't know what they don't know about you is you're such a collector of like yeah. amazing things. But or you're like so sentimental with different things, you know, and items i mean they don't have to cost a lot but they just mean like you're in your home you have your children's artwork everywhere that you can't you well, know it's it's the, beautiful the worst thing that i lost and i lost things that were very expensive obviously but aside from mm-hmm. the, the money aspect i lost all of my um, 16 millimeter film from film school all the movies i made so i made a ton of little crazy short films that were nuts mm-hmm. that i wish i had of my family i have hours of footage of my family talking about their lives in Harlem in the 50s and about my great grandmother who and about my grandfather they were all this is all mafia related stuff and all those tapes burned and we were using those tapes to write a story um stuff like that you know how do you get how do you get over that like that you know, the thing I that imagine. I got over all of that immediately, um, photos, mm-hmm. also boxes of real photographs. Back then, nothing was digital. And cards, like chips for cameras, all those things were missing too. But um, the thing that I can't get back is the cost of living in New York City. I paid $3,200 a month for 2,000 square feet, and I was going to take the apartment below me or above me and cut through the floors. I It was enormous. And my ceilings were like 20 feet high. So I built a second floor in the living room. It was big enough for my family, which in New York, you can't, now I can't even go home to visit my family because I have nowhere to stay. I could go home when I was doing a job there, like when I was doing Shades of Blue, but it was a wash. Like every dime I made went straight into the cost of living in New York City because it was that expensive. But my landlord in New York loved me and never raised my rent. Oh, my God. Anyway, that's that's my story. It's crazy how we, I always think about if there's an earthquake or a fire, what would I grab? 
You know, like everyone thinks about that. Like, what would you grab in your house? And it before, what is that? It's just a little tiny oh, shoe to a fat-footed person. When she was <laughs> tiny, I might grab this shoe of my daughter's. It's so cute. Yeah. Make it, hey, you guys, make sure you subscribe. Support the show, support, and also support our sponsors. But yes, back in the day, back then, it's all about the photographs. Because we didn't have them on cell phones. The other nothing. thing is I have about 50 storage spaces in New York. <laughs> oh, you did. Well, that's good. At least you have some stuff left. No, I just have lots of vintage. I have vintage clothing from my days in the, at Filth Mart. Other than that. But I do have storage spaces everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's it for episode two. Uh, no, season two, episode eight. You know what I have cooking in the other room? Well, I missed dinner tonight. But uh, this is what was cooking. Can you see this? Show me. No, I can't see. Is it eggplant parm? Chicken parm. What is it? You can't see it. I can't see. You can hear the No, it's like there's a weird reflection. That was chicken cutlets frying, for those of you who could have heard it crackling. Um, We had eggplant parm yesterday and the day before. I saw it, and that's my favorite, and I was upset that you didn't invite me over. Oh, my God. The eating that's gone on here for the past two days. First of all, um, Deborah Lynn, who oh, who happens to be Tony Soprano's, um, Jim Gandolfini's wife, widow, she knew that Monkey was in the hospital, so she made her this coconut jello and this brownie, oh. these br- gluten-free brownies from this mochi mix that her mom sends her from Hawaii. So she made oh it, made that from Monkey and had that um, waiting for us. And then we brought her eggplant parm. So, and Lily, her daughter, was Aww. like, oh, my God, I get to have eggplant parm again. Because um, she doesn't get to eat um, Italian food all the time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to send over the Italian once a month as long as you le- teach me how to cook Chinese. Because <laughs> the oh Italians only care about Chinese. Um, That's an amazing trade-off, by the way. I for know. Both of you. She's taking it's me equal. to the Chinese market. <laughs> but um, I never had a moment like that in the neighborhood where neighbors swapped food. I mean, Robbie drove oh, over there because nice. she doesn't live five, you know, she only lives like three minutes, but it's a car ride. He went and brought yeah. her the eggplant parm and she sent over the desserts. Yeah. I mean, granted, she sent made the desserts for Monkey, so it was always on the way, but we yeah. happened to be making eggplant parm and it felt so good to share food like that. I know. Well, that's why we're also doing our Sunday dinners. That's right. D-I-N-N-A. And yes. we want you guys to share your food recipes or just photos. Tag us. Tag Gangster Goddess Broadcast and tag at us and then tag Gangster Gabagool so we can see those photographs of what you guys are eating and cooking. Share them with us and then we can share them on our stories, right? Yeah. Or on the podcast. Eventually we'll work on our cookbook stuff because I have to do that for my grandma. Mm-hmm. But and because food is life and life is food and we love to eat and we're going to leave you guys right now and we're going to go eat. Um, Wait, Dre, if I come over here, does it look like I'm kissing you? Bye! Oh, my God, it looked like we... (laughs) Okay, anyway, we're being weird. We're pretending we're, like, kissing each other because the screens are next to each other, even though we're in two separate houses. Hold on one second. (laughs) Ooh, Chris is in my ass. (laughs) 
Two years old. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, Well, Jay, that's it for season two, episode eight. Tune in next week for episode nine. From where to eternity, <laughs> where the family deals with the fallout from the hit on Chris. Polly has a supernatural experience. And that's it. <laughs> and that's it. See you on the turnpike. <gasps> I knew you were going to say it. I knew you were yeah. going to say it. I feel psychic. I knew I'm you were going to say call that. Back you know what? That was women. my phrase. That is your phrase. That was my phrase. Chris was afraid to say, see you on the turnpike, because she didn't want to step on the fact that we had done another show called Made Women for season one. But it's all love, man. I mean, I feel like the, you know, our old producers would never be mad. I mean, our show's still up there, so you all can see it. And it's that actually was a phrase that I came doing up, really well. I came well. up with the phrase. Yes, it's doing great. You know what? Go to Made Women, listen to season one, and um, support Calvary Media. There you go. Yeah. See on the Turnpike? We made up that. So it's all good. Not me. You. I'm not from Jersey. I'm from we, Queens, girl. No. I'd be like, we I'd be like meeting, see you, I'd see you on Franny Lou Boulevard. <laughs> listen, we meeting me and the other personalities in my pocket. Your duality? I'll take it back my to the duality. duality. Yes. The psycho Chris Wrap and the up. normal Chris? Because those two exist. By the way, psycho Chris is here five days out of the month, and we all know which days they are. Oh, <laughs> huh? Where are your proof what? panties when you need them? Exactly. Anyway, I'm going to eat chicken milanese. All right, goodbye. Bye, guys. Love ya. Gangster Goddess Broadcast is a UV Ways and Monkey Mind Music Group production. Executive produced by Dre and Chris and theme song by UV Ways.